Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today in this podcast, we're going to discuss crime. Why is it so rampant? And what does the Bible have to say about it? Today, we'll lead off with Ecclesiastes 8.11, and as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we'll reference and read today, and we will put those in the overview. So, with the present crimes under the influence of over the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. Indeed, why is crime rampant? As we'll see, in one sense, the answer is easy. On the other hand, not so easy, which makes us a little confused about Christian expectations, but once we sort it through... Christian expectations are clear as to what we should be doing, uh, even though the province of God has many layers and sometimes can be complex. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at a current event recently. Let's say Chicago. They have weekend shootings and killings there on a regular basis. This past two weekends, we're now about the middle of May, there were 14 murders and 59 people shot as far as we know. Mm. Um, the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, blames the crimes, like, for instance, carjacking on remote learning during the COVID-19 problem and um, other such things. <laughs> also, a lot of current events are happening uh, and the result of violence in many places, many cities around our country. There are light or no sentences for those rioting uh, while demonstrating. Uh, shoplifting is on a rampage. Here's a quote from the Hoover Institution of August 3rd last year, that's 2021. Quote, why is shoplifting so rampant? And this, we're talking about the state uh, over here in California, state of California. Quote goes on to say, because state law holds that stealing merchandise worth $950 or less is just a misdemeanor, which means that law enforcement probably won't bother to investigate <laughs> and if they do, prosecutors will let it go. So $949.99, uh, and you can do it as much as you want. Yes. <laughs> and businesses out there, of course, Walgreens, CVS, have closed their, their doors and, yeah. and moved on. But the law remains. Um, why won't store employees do anything about this theft? The quote continues from Hoover Institution. Because they don't want to take the risk. I doubt many would, knowing that a Rite Aid employee was murdered recently after trying to stop two thieves. Moreover, a confrontation within the store risks harming not only store staff, but the customers. So employees are almost certainly instructed by their managers to do nothing. That's only one of many examples of the kind of problems we have with our laws. Here's another one. This is a quote from Christopher Ray of the FBI. Quote, murder rates in general have been spiking in major American cities across the past two years. The year 2020 saw nearly a 30% increase in murders in the United States. Then, summing this up, Ray goes on to blame the pandemic, repeat offenders, and more people deciding to become criminals in general. He also says in this quote that the um, skyrocketing rate of police murders since 2020 deserves more attention in the press. That's from the Daily War of uh, this year, uh, April 25th. Well, let's take a look at Ecclesiastes 8.11, which in one sense makes it clear and easy about what to do in Christian expectations of rampant crime. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. 
Amen. Mm. As a school teacher many years, if I didn't have rules and discipline and enforce them, it would be chaos. Here's a good example of how things have changed. In February 15th of 1933, President-elect uh, Roosevelt, it's FDR, Franklin Delano, was in Miami in the back of a car standing up. They were doing some rallying the troops. He's about to be inaugurated. And the uh, mayor of Chicago was there as well, Mayor Cermak. In the crowd was a fella named Zangera, who was short, so he had to stand on a folding chair, which made him wobbly. He had a gun he got at a pawn shop, tried to assassinate FDR, missed, hit the mayor, who died about a couple weeks later. Hmm. He was executed, this man who did this, six weeks after he attempted the assassination. Trial, boom, gone. Six weeks. That's unheard of today. Now, here in Nashville recently, just in the last couple months, Oscar Franklin Smith, who was convicted of murdering his wife and her two sons from a previous marriage, was convicted of this in 1989. He just, in the last few weeks, came finally into the place where they were going to execute him. I mean, that's a going into adulthood right. for that time. 30-plus years. Right. Um, having laws and not enforcing them in an appropriate time breeds contempt of the law. Hmm. But the problem goes deeper than this. And just to throw in something that happened two hours before we got right to this podcast today, uh, Attorney General Garland's refusing to enforce the federal laws on the books about uh, protesting around Judge's House of the Supreme Court, which is against the law and carries a, a prison sentence, but he's not, he's not enforcing it. So mm. the protests continue. The problem, as Ecclesiastes alluded to, is the problem of the human heart. In Genesis 8.21, after the flood is over and God's having a conversation with um, Noah, he talks about how he's not going to flood the world again for this reason. Quote, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Mm. So clearly you're always going to have crime. When we come to Jesus in the New Testament, he says the same thing. Out of the heart comes all kinds of foul uh, sins and mm -hmm. acts. Paul the same way. Uh, the history of the heart and action is and reaches its uh, fulfillment in sinful crime, which is to say violent crime. And that's what we're looking at today to make it clear. For instance, Genesis 6, 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Violence. The earth was filled with violence, and maybe more so than today, but we're, uh, we're approaching maybe uh, the outer limits of that situation that is, occurs in Genesis. Now, of course, we have the Ten Commandments. A lot of people believe in the Ten Commandments. Often they get posted on barns and people's yards on placards, and so forth, so on. Ten Commandments were given to Israel. What do we know of Israel's record of being able to keep the law, and did they have rampant crime and violence? Let's take a look at the heart problem of Israel, which reflects mankind as such. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 21 through 26. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. 
For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently set all my servants, the prophets, to them, day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. There you go. The the heart problem continues hundreds and hundreds of years after their deliverance from Egypt. And God's on record saying, from the very day I brought them out to now, time and time again, sending prophets, they continue their ways. And we know from the record in the Old Testament, so much of that was absolutely violent. Mm. So that's the history that explains for one sense, why crime is rampant. And we might say even if there were laws that were enforced immediately every time, there would still be criminal activity, as we understand. So even if we do this perfectly, there's still going to be crime. There's still going to be problems, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, That's an important expectation to have, yeah. this side of heaven. Yes, Yeah. yes. Um, but let's go on. Next thing we want to look at is the problem of God's patience versus the civic duty of mankind. You know, in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, Paul is talking about the fall of the human race and gives many examples of the kinds of sins that people are guilty of, from gossiping to murder, another violent crime. And he finishes up that section by saying the people became foolish, the human race, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Mm. But when we get to Romans 2, the first five verses, we get a sense of God's patience, and we need to understand that as well to understand why some things are rampant. So let's listen to Romans 2, verses 1 through 5. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such, such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. All right, judgment will come. In the meantime... Paul is saying, don't you know that the reason why you're walking around alive and not dropped dead by God, as Paul uh, talks about at the end of Romans chapter 1, uh, is because of the patience of God. Mm. So one, in one way we can say the reason why there are, people are still going around committing crimes is because God is patient. He wants them all to come to repentance. Come to repentance. Yeah. And we have to take that in consideration as well. Now, let's note this. Man's duty doesn't depend on what God is doing about violent crime, but on what he has said that we should be doing about it. As Lincoln said about the Civil War in his second inauguration, God has his own purposes. Mm. In other words, in that inauguration address, the second time he got elected president, he was addressing this question, why hasn't the war ended? And one of the answers he gives is God has his own purposes, mm. and we must understand that. 
and that sometimes can be difficult. But what is the civic duty? Let's take a look at the civic duty. Paul is writing to Christians, but it's expected, of course, everyone. And that's Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjugation not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And this is the Christian response to government. Yet we must understand with Israel, right before us, with the verses we previously read, or Randy did, God's ordained way obviously can be compromised. Absolutely. What then? What do you do when the politically incorrect are criminalized, for simply things they've said, and violence is tolerated because it's necessary, whether it comes from Antifa, the BLM, or whatever? Well, let's move now then, as leave that question for a later date. What is the goal of God-ordained government? Let's narrow it down. And we find this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's right. A peaceful life. Public safety is the priority there. So we can be free to do business, and if we're free as Christians, that means everybody else is free. If crime rises, here's the question, and crime is rising. If crime rises, are we Christians praying as we should? Because that's the prayer. Prayer that we can have life and godliness and safety and peace. We need to ask ourselves that question. Are we making that a priority? Much more so than however we invest in politics, monetarily, personally, time, energy, and all that. I've known people over time, especially as you get to worship with the same group of people over time, they they pray for the leaders of the country, sometimes only when it's the leader they voted for. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and not everyone every in general, period. Yeah. Got to pray for everybody to yeah. do their duty. Uh, and if it gets bad, then as you're led, or believe you're led, uh, pray accordingly. But certainly we got to pray for peace. Uh, and notice it's safety and peace is the priority, not economics, not having a political vision to make a country to a utopian, anything like that. First duty is to pray. So we got to keep that in mind and ask the question, crime is rampant. Well, are we praying as we should? Mm-hmm. But there's this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we need to understand that nonetheless, there are going to be times when crime is rampant, period. Randy? But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. There you go. That's a list. That's a list, and clearly rife for violence of all kinds. The um, standard Greek lexicon, Dr. Mounces, uh, translates that word difficult that uh, Randy read from the ESV, difficult times will come. It can be translated hard, as in hard times, rugged, rugged times, furious, or ferocious. Christian Standard Bible says hard times. Here are some other translations from various Bibles. Terrible times, perilous times, times full of danger, violent times. Mm. So what about our prayers for safety? Well, we continue to pray according, as Randy read from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Why? For our life is directed toward peace. It's not like, well, we got to give up. No, this yeah. is our calling. Right. This is our calling. We're it to is persist. Persist. Persist yeah. in prayers for peace. Yeah. Um, you know, make a big sign out of that, right? And go, yeah. <laughs> go protest somewhere. <laughs> Let's go to the judge's house. <laughs> Let's go to the yeah. and protest. Um, this is brought home uh, from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, quoting a, um, a psalm. This is uh, instructive. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14a. For... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed." There we go. Pursue peace. If you want to see good days and have a good life, pursue peace. Have the zeal like you would be at war, but mm. transfer that zeal to, to peace. Pursue peace. And Peter's a realist. What happens if you don't get peace? Well, then you'll suffer for doing God's goodwill, and it'll still be a blessing somehow, some way. It will not return void. It will not return void. Um, remember that uh, Paul and Peter both knew lots of problems and pain by people uh, who were rampant with their criminal acts against them. But they persisted. But they, they, they persisted, yeah. absolutely. They persevered. Um, so let's take a look now back at Ecclesiastes 8 and look at the wider context of that. I think it's instructive. Remember, of course, Ecclesiastes is life seen from under the sun, which can be helpful. I think it is. That's why the book's in the Bible. Uh, Solomon doesn't see everything that we know now. And, of course, there are things to come that we don't even know yet. Mm -hmm. But let's take a look as Randy reads Ecclesiastes 8, 10 through 13. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does an evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that I will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There we go. He starts off with that um, verse 10 about people who are evil people get a decent burial in, mm -hmm. in the county graveyard or whatever. And that encourages, that's why it goes on to verse 11, that encourages people to, hey, violent crime pays. Yeah. Uh, look at the... Look at the send-off this person got. And then in verse uh, 12, uh, he makes it sound like being wicked is good because you get to live a long life. 
But in verse 13, he says he will not prolong his shadow, meaning nonetheless, when the time comes for the wicked to die, he will die. And Solomon, the teacher, does not see that as a good thing, but he sees fearing God, being righteous, and continuing a good thing. Mm -hmm. So what's his solution? Let's take a look at, we're in the same chapter, chapter 8, at verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Yes, in the midst of uh, rampant crime and other calamities, to be able to have peace with the, in your family, mm -hmm. family grouping, family gathering, and to rejoice in that is a wonderful thing above everything else. So he comes back to the, the ways of blessing of God starting with the family with the family. Uh, now, in some ways, uh, we are where Solomon was in trying to figure this out. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Okay, he's there saying, I, I do not comprehend or understand the ways of God. I do know it will not go well with the wicked. I don't know how that is, he says, but I believe it. It's got to mm -hmm. be the way things work because there is God. Mm -hmm. And I got to believe those who toe the line, do the righteous thing, will be blessed. And I can't always see that. Don't always see it happening in my life, but I know it's got to be so. And that's why the book ends with the disciple of the teacher, Solomon, at the end of chapter 12 saying, well, now he said all there is to say, which is basically obey God and do what's right because everyone will be judged one day. But beyond that, he doesn't have much to say. Mm -hmm. We are Christians have a much better viewpoint, of course. For example, let me just give you a short reading here of chapter 8 of Romans, part of chapter 8 of Romans, where Paul says, quote, toward the end of that chapter, for I consider that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And everything works to the good for those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. There is a great glory coming. Second Peter 3 talks about a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, crime no longer rampant. Sin, mm. in that sense, is being dealt with. So let's summarize real fast. Why the increase in violent crimes? Number one, punishments delayed by governing authorities who are supposed to mete out the punishments. Slow justice. Yes, that clearly encourages more crime. We who are Christians need to examine ourselves. Are we praying as we should for peace in the nation, in the country? Next, we are probably in one of those violent times that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3, when he says, understand, mark this. In the last days, and that's what we're in between first and second coming, uh, hard times, terrible times, fierce times, desperate times, times plural. Mm -hmm. And if you study history of the world or even this country, you've seen those happen in decade after decade in various places. And then, of course, there is God's patience. Well, let's take one last thing to consider, and we're moving back to the foundations of everything here. I'm going to go back to the election of George Bush and John Kerry, and I remember following that, and a big debate among many people was, who's got the highest IQ? Who's mm. the smartest? And at the time I thought, what fools people are. <laughs> what fool? Governing has nothing to do with your IQ. 
In fact, I think people with a high IQ might be more of a problem than someone with a simpler IQ. Yeah. What the Bible teaches is it's wisdom. You need a wisdom quotient. So let's take a look at what ruling, governing, has to do with wisdom, because in wisdom, you will be able to have a place that is not rampant, overrun all the time. In other words, you will make progress in it. And of course, we're not going to make full progress till Jesus comes back, but let's don't be pessimists. You can make progress. Mm -hmm. Listen to what Proverbs 8 says, and we're going to start with verses 12 through 17. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. There you go. By me, rulers rule justly, righteously. But you must seek wisdom, which transcends even things in our blessed Constitution and amendments and everything else. Because this goes back to the way God wills that things should be done, which could be done back in Solomon's time before you know this country was even created. So we need people who will be in government who will seek that. Uh, that's maybe one of the things we could pray for, for sure, to help peace. But it's clear, and we as the Christian expectation, if you don't have someone who has wisdom, it's not going to work well, and you're going to have more problems. Then we drop down to verses 35 through 36 as the chapter ends. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. All who hate the wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is filled with the kind of practical wisdom that we need. You move to other kinds of wisdom, building on that as you move through the uh, New Testament. But death, all who uh, refuse me, reject me, love death. Death comes because of sin. But sin is a part of the national conversation has died. And we need to appreciate this. One of the reasons we have rampant crime is because we no longer have a context to understand it. Hmm. Okay? Let's take a look first to lead us off. Proverbs 14, verses 33 and 34. Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Right. So wisdom can make itself known even among fools. That's encouraging. Yeah. Because we have a lot of fools these days. Yeah, there, there are a few of them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And sin is a reproach to any people, to a nation, but righteousness exalts. So wisdom, when in place, does that, which means rampant crime rate would go down. So wisdom wins regardless of the IQ and regardless of the political affiliation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we have a problem, not only in, in this country, but in the Western world, that results from the loss of the whole sin, wisdom, righteous complex. Uh, and so we can't have a, a cultural conversation. Now, believe it or not, this problem was addressed some 50 years ago in a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin?, and I read that book when it came out back in 1973, and I found it astounding because I hadn't been a Christian that long. And I thought, wow, are we in that bad of a shape already? It was written by a psychiatrist, also a Presbyterian, but a bona fide 
the psychiatrist who for years uh, ran the miniature clinic in this country. He also produced a book on psychiatry and mental health called The Vital Balance, uh, which I found in the Cincinnati Library. As soon as I read that book, I got to read other books. And it, I recommend it to anybody who wants a sound understanding of psychiatry, and it, it, it comports with Christian understanding. Hmm. Here is a quote from page 14 in his book, Whatever Became a Sin, back in 1973. Quote, the very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word. It described a central point in every civilized human being's life plan and lifestyle. But the word went away. It has almost disappeared. The word, along with the notion, which brings in wisdom and righteousness. Mm -hmm. Why, he continues, doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? End of quote. Uh, the loss, this loss in our cultural conversation, uh, means the failure to fear God, seek his wisdom on how to live, let alone govern. And if we could reconstitute that, even people who don't become Christian would be better off than they would. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go on here. There's a fellow I found, uh, Ray Pritchard, he did a review and uh, a little writing about this book back in 1993. So this is from his uh, article on, uh, on that subject, May 30th, 1993, talking about this book by Carl Menninger, uh, Whatever Became of Sin. Quote, the whole burden of his book is to document the disappearance of sin from American society. He basically argues that in place, and this is 1970, again, 1970s, early 1970s. He basically argues that in place of the historic concept of sin, we now speak of crime and symptoms. Well, a hundred years passed. In the early 1950s, Congress passed a law that the president should henceforth and every year after that designate a certain day in May as a national day of prayer, and he should issue a proclamation so designating that day. President Eisenhower, in the first year, went back to Abraham Lincoln's declaration, barred much of the language, and used the word sin in that first declaration in the early 1950s. And Dr. Menninger points out that in all the succeeding years, President Eisenhower left the word sin out. No American president, in issuing his call to prayer, has used the word sin again, mm. end of quote. Now, there's two things here. Some of this comes, and most of it comes from Lincoln's call for fasting and prayer uh, for the nation back in 1863 in the midst of the Civil War. So let me read from Lincoln, and I've learned as much from him about providence of God in some respects better than theologians because he lived it mm -hmm. in the midst of the Civil War. Listen, when he calls for a fast and prayer, uh, the, that would be taking place, I think, later in April of the year. Proclamation was made in March so people could get themselves ready. Fasting and prayer. And here's a couple quotes from that. Lincoln says, quote, And inasmuch as we know that by his divine law, nations, like individuals, are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, maybe but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God, 
We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, wow. too proud to pray to the God that made us. Hmm. So... As he ends this, he says... It could be applied today. Huh? It could be applied today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. As he ends Timeless. this, he says, um, It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, you might say, well, that's a big deal. It's just a word, sin. No, it's a whole concept of biblical understanding of wisdom, righteousness, yeah. judgment of God, and how things are supposed to be done, found in that one little word. And, and this word changes the whole intent of the, the heart and, absolutely. and philosophy behind it. And, of course, he hits upon those things that we looked at, about the, the depths of the sin in the human heart. Mm -hmm. um, he continued in this vein, Lincoln now quotes over, uh, later when he gave a Thanksgiving declaration. And uh, while addressing uh, the many ways the nation has been blessed, as he cited earlier when he called the nation to prayer and fasting, um, the ways in which this country has been blessed despite the ongoing civil war, he goes on to say this uh, in, uh, in uh, November when he makes this declaration. Quote, No human counsel has devised nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things. Meaning, of course, the blessings that we've had despite the Civil War. He goes on. He says, They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, meaning the Civil War, mm -hmm. has nevertheless remembered mercy. Then he goes on to say that we should offer up, of course, prayers of thanksgiving. It's a thanksgiving declaration. But when we do that, we should also offer up, and I quote, humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience. Mm -hmm. So if we believe in sin, judgment of God, and wisdom alone brings righteousness and our need of mercy, as a nation, let us so pray and let us so seek. When crime is rampant, the Christian expectation is that we call sin, sin. And the essence of wisdom is to call the nation to repentance and those of us who are Christians to follow the wisdom of Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Has our nation moved beyond this hope of repentance? If so, what then is the Christian expectation? Well, thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about, and I'm sure there might be questions and comments about it. And we really would love to hear those questions and comments from you. So please send your questions and comments or support of any kind to eventandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, the word expectations at We'll use your question or comment on air where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until our next episode, keep looking up.